You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is Season 12's Artist Roundtable. This Artist Roundtable was recorded live at the Loom Creative Arts event in Spruce Pines, North Carolina. The conversation centers on the importance of building creative community, the embodiment of the creative process, and what it means to be an artist of faith amidst a culture in crisis. Joining us for this discussion is longtime friend of the podcast, author-illustrator Vesper Stamper, photographer and founder of JHS Pedals, Josh Scott, conversation host Corey Fry, and myself, Stephen Roach. As we prepare for the Breath in the Clay 2024, taking place in Winston-Salem, March 22nd through 24th, I wanted to share this live conversation as a primer of some of the vital community discussions we'll be hosting at this event and in the days to come. Before we get started, I want to invite you to take a look at the show notes of this episode for links to submit your poetry to the Bright Wings Poetry Contest in partnership with Ecstasis Magazine. The winner of this contest will receive an honorarium of $1,000 and the opportunity to be published in Ecstasis Magazine, as well as read your poem live at the Breath in the Clay 2024. See the show notes for links to learn more and also an opportunity for our visual artists out there. You can submit your works for consideration to the Breath in the Clay's Immersive Art Gallery. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is the Makers and Mystics Podcast, Season 12, Artist Roundtable. So, pretty wide range of experiences up here. So, I'd like to ask you all, Maybe what are you seeing in your sphere right now? As far as being a writer, as far as being an entrepreneur, but also branching out into these other places, as far as like, Stephen, you've had your, your hands in this connection between art and faith for so long. What are you feeling right now? So it's a really interesting question because I've been thinking about this a lot. And, you know, years ago when we first started doing The Breath in the Clay creative arts events, there weren't that many other active, you know, Christian arts organizations uh, doing a lot of things. There was SIVA, of course, uh, I think Matt Tommy, some of you guys might know Matt Tommy, he was doing some stuff and we were doing the breath and the clay. But what's fascinating is that over the years now, I've, I feel like now just about every week, I hear about another small little Christian arts community cropping up somewhere, you know, which I think is so exciting and so amazing. And, you know, of course, we're always dreaming about ways of connecting all of them together so that it doesn't feel like we're just in these little silos and we can share ideas and support one another. But what I'm really seeing right now and what I'm really sensing is that so many of us in the art and faith world just need encouragement right now just need mad encouragement. I think the isolation that overtook the world and certainly overtook my life in many ways when COVID hit, you know, I think a lot of people are still trying to get over the negative effects that happened through COVID and isolation was certainly one of them. And so what I'm seeing right now is a real need for community, 
a real need for encouragement, a real need for things like what we're doing right now. But I also have a real sense of hope about new connections being made that gets the blood flowing to the body again, you know? Yeah, that's so good. Christy and I, so we lived in Pensacola, Florida for a while, and we, we decided to move back to where I'm from in Maryland to start a creative community. And we didn't know what that meant, and we still don't know what that means. But probably two months after we decided to move, like we're, Chrissy put in her notice at her job, and we were uprooting. Um, we went to our first Breath in the Clay in March of that year. And man, it was like a win in our sails. It was like good grief. This thing, I don't know what this thing is, but it's stirring in the hearts of a lot of different people at the same time who don't know one another. And that is worth paying attention to. I don't know what that means. And I'd like to use certain kind of words with it, but I I hesitate a little bit because I think God's more relational than this. I want to use the word strategic but, but I, I, you know, I think God's, you know, a bit more connected to, the, to our hearts than maybe using like that, that kind of language. But maybe like a loom or something. I don't know. That, that comes loom, to mind. Some sort of loom. Yeah. <laughs> maybe something like that. Josh, can you say more about why you feel a stirring towards building creative community where you're at? Like, what do you, maybe what, maybe what do you see lacking? Where do you see the need for where you are? I, the root of it is a, is, is a frustration, like a mild happy, like I'm not angry. It's like, it's, it's a true frustration that I think I found in myself, you know, like having this company, being a creative. I even had this blockage to saying I was a creative until like five years ago because I associated it with like lazy people. I'm just being honest, like I'm, I'm kind of in this spot as a, it's very personal. And then the burden for community, I feel a sense of like a rebellion against how it feels lately. You know, art is not an algorithm. And that's like what I feel in my circle. So many musicians, so many writers, so many photographers, like playing this ridiculous game for an algorithm that disappears in nine seconds. And that frustration, I think, has led me back to the simplicity of, I really wanna meet with my neighborhood and make stuff. And I'm buying a dumb phone, which I did, and I put my SIM card in it. Like I, a part of that, there's a little backstory. You know, as my company grew, we accidentally had a, a YouTube channel with a staff of six and like 100 million views, and it was like playing this thing and it was just excruciatingly bad it's great in some ways and then excruciatingly painful in others because you're you're making things for the momentary and it's like that clashes so much with what i see jesus wanting and so there's this frustration i think about romans this passage and i'll share this tomorrow night all of creation is subject to frustration awaiting this beauty that Christ will bring. That's like, that's like the thing. Like I feel frustrated and I, but I'm frustrated with, with my community, my create the creation, which includes a community that I've ignored. And that's, that's this like stirring. Yeah. That's so good. I've been thinking about, you know, my grandmother passed away this past year and she was of the generation that the moment she saw me, the first question that she asked is, are you working? 
are you taken care of? And, and there's really good reasons for that. Her parents probably grew up during the Depression, right? And so she saw people that were struggling and, and having to eke their, eke their living and like figure things out. And there's, a, again, I don't know, but maybe there's a grace for this time where, you know, we, and, and we could lose it probably in a moment, but maybe there's a grace for this time right now in this season where like, we have these meetings with the well and people will come up to us who are very successful business people and they'll leave and they won't say anything, but then they'll come back the next time and they'll be like, you know, I've just been thinking about how I used to want to always write, but I, ne- but I don't do that. And it's like something's awakened in their hearts all of a sudden. And there's a grace for the season to be able to to think in that direction rather than just eking through existence. And people have struggled with this for you know, all time. But to me, I think people are awakening to maybe a frustration that they haven't recognized they even have because something else is calling out inside of them. I just want to sit with that for like 20 minutes and really ponder, you know, like what you said and what it means, like in my own context, like, yeah, I just, you know, I got to sit with that. I think I'll answer the question. There's a lot of different ways I could answer this question because I have a lot of different spheres, you know, but I teach at School of Visual Arts, and um, I teach illustration, so I teach senior illustration thesis to a lot of scared 20-year-olds. <laughs> and they're terrified. They, they're really, they come into the class and they're totally burnt out by senior year. And the thing in their mind now, especially this year, is like, how do I compete with AI? And you can't compete with AI. I mean, my first question to them is, why would anyone hire you as an illustrator to plug the things into the AI? Like, they're not going to hire you. They're going to hire somebody who can do good search terms. That makes sense, right? So sending all these young artists out into the world, like, what am I going to, how, what's the best thing I can do for them? And I think the best thing that I can do for them is to remind them or help them to remember why they wanted to be artists in the first place and to reconnect with that love. And a lot of that means in the first six weeks of our class, they're not allowed to touch a digital tool. They have to get back into their bodies. And I'm not like this kind of airy-fairy, like, let's get back into our body. That's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's more like an acknowledgement that we're, not, and I'm going to talk about this tomorrow, actually, that we're not just these floating minds but that we actually are hylomorphic beings that are like mind, body, and spirit that are connected to each other, you know? And I think that that's what we're losing in this tumultuous time where everything's being upset. And the demand on us is that we disembody and just become minds that are connected, you know, by circuitry. And that's not what the human being is. So why try to do that? (laughs) It's like, why not instead recover what it means to be human in a body and to be an artist that makes things with your body, which is the greatest artistic tool that you have, right? So that's what I see in that community, yeah. you know? And if I can, you know, the, the lifespan, uh, not the lifespan, <laughs> I'll say it this way, the lifespan of an artistic career is typically under 10 years of a professional artistic career before people either burn out or just are tired of being poor 
or, you know, or realize that they actually weren't as good as they thought they were or, or any one of a number of things, right? And so how can we start as we mean to go on and recognize like what is it to be an artist? What does the culture tell us that an artist is, but what is it really? And especially what does God say that an artist is? You know, we, we get our identity from him, so why not ask him what is an artist? <laughs> and, and what does it mean to be an artist in the, communi in the greater community and in the communion, right? So we fulfill a role in the community and in the communion of saints. It's not the same role as the pastor necessarily. It's a, it's a different role. And so we can ask God for wisdom on that. That's great. Yeah. What are you thinking, Stephen? You really want to know? Yeah. What? I'm thinking that we need t-shirts that say art is not an algorithm. That's the first thing I was thinking, you know. But, you know, the other thing that I was thinking, though, is... I just interviewed Karen Swallow Pryor on Makers and Mystics. And um, if you guys don't know her, she's a brilliant professor and writer. And she just released a book called The Evangelical Imagination. And uh, it's, a, it's a really beautiful book. And she and I were talking about that in many ways, Christian culture or you know, evangelical culture, it's, it's having an identity crisis in many ways. And as we were talking together, I got more and more excited. And by the end of the interview, you can, I start leaning into that excitement, but I said, I'm not excited because we're, you know, having an identity crisis in culture right now, but I'm excited because this seems like the moment for the artist to come forward. And, you know, the strange thing about the artist is that we're not, we're not quite religious, but we're not quite secular. We're, we're kind of a priest, but we're not a priest. We're kind of a poet, but then we've also got angel wings. It's like we're, we're this strange hybrid with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, and there's no box where we fit. And if there was a box where we fit, then we would say we don't fit that box. But then that can be a box. See what you did by not asking me a question? And, this is great. And He's so good. I started thinking that the reason this is such a beautiful moment for the artist is because, and maybe I should say for the devoted artist, I like that phrase recently, for the devoted artist, for the artist in communion with the Spirit of God. Because when you asked the question earlier, uh, well, what is an artist? Well, we might need to ask God, you know, who the artist is. I, I love, and we've all heard this many times at this point, I think, but, you know, the first person in Scripture to ever be named explicitly as being filled with the Spirit of God was Bezalel, the artist. And what, what was he filled with the Spirit for? To make beautiful works. And what were those beautiful works for? They were to clothe, to embody a dwelling place for the Spirit of God on the earth. It was for the temple. And so there's this incarnational aspect to art and to the call of the artist. It's to take the invisible and make it visible. It's to take the unseen and make it seen. It's, you know, it's, the, it's like word becoming flesh. That's the ministry of the artist. And so when we talk about being in a culture in crisis, the artist has the invitation to go deep into the heart of God to abide in that place of communion and find new ways 
to present ancient truths or to provide new metaphors to clothe eternal truths, new ways. It's like, because everybody in culture now thinks they understand and has already drawn conclusions on certain things regarding the faith, right? But to be able to introduce new metaphors that renew the face of the earth and renew our own interactions and to kind of get our faith out of the, the boxes we've created for our faith, that's what excites me um, about being an artist in the midst of a culture in crisis. I'm going to put a little nuance on that. All right. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> and to say that the goal is not to do something new. The goal is to be deeply rooted, so deeply rooted in our inheritance. In the, in the 2,000, yay, almost 6,000 years of the, of the inheritance of our faith. And to go so deep in that, and so that it, the new stuff bubbles to the surface through us, yes. you know? Because it will be something new. It definitely will be something new for our time. But it will be, it, it's, to think of it just as like, I've got to do the next new thing. Well, how is that different no, I love that. than the spirit of the age? Yes. And all it's going to do is put a Band-Aid on everything. And it's going to shrivel up and become nasty wholeheartedly agree. Okay. I, yeah, just last comment. I think that's the relationship between tradition and innovation that I'm exploring. Yeah, well said. I like what the word that you use for, of devotion. The thing about Bezalel's devotion is that he's not just devoted to God. He's devoted to his craft. And so there, there is this thing about there's nothing new under the sun, but there, but there is something new under the sun and it, and it has nothing more to do with like you owning that you exist now and, and that you have the perspective that you do. You know, the confluence of who you are, like the soup, the recipe of your existence in this time with all the books that you've read and experiences that you've had, the makeup of, of that recipe has never existed before. And so if, you, if you're making honest work, you're making new work without trying to make new work. And um, so I think devotion to craft ends up being this really important part of our devotion to God. It seems important to mention. Wait, you have any thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, I would say that devotion aspect is the key. I think like all the AI stuff, I have so many friends that are like panicking. I don't feel any of that because I, I think historically like this, of course we haven't had what we call AI, but we've had all kinds of things. I mean, if I just for a hot second, you know, 1930 America's 40% electricity very rural. The electric guitar is invented in 32. Sound systems are invented that play in theaters. So I'm just like setting the stage for this situation historically. And at that time, you, there were talkies, the movies, and you would go into a theater and it would play, but the technology was not invented to synchronize reels of film with audio. So you'd have a band in the pit. So you imagine going to AMC to watch Marvel and there's a band. <laughs> That might be kind of cool, actually. We should work Let's on that. Let's bring it back. Um, it's a new so, idea. So the radio goes widely public because of the invention of what's called the tube, 
It's a glass tube and it's an amplifier. It's the first time that the human voice was louder than nat naturally. There was this crazy moment in the world where a human could, I'm doing it right now, ironically, I just noticed, the human voice had always been this loud and suddenly it was this loud and that's scary and people are scared of electricity and there's this ad for the first guitar, electric guitar performance. It's in Wichita, Kansas, a guy named Gage Brewer. And on the ad, it says, come watch the electrifying guitar. And people didn't want to go because they thought it was going to electrocute him. <laughs> so in this context, just setting the stage of America, a man invents the synchronization of audio to film. And it's total chaos. And this has been like a race from history because... TikTok's more interesting to people. But what happens is there are these fascinating um, ads I found in some research about this where it's like propaganda from this musician's union <laughs> and it shows a robot playing a piano, like a goofy kind of Mickey Mouse robot. And it says like, stop the robots from taking our jobs. And this is identical wow. to AI. But here's the thing that's interesting. Musicians have done fine. Devoted musicians have done fine. Lazy musicians, people who just, their mom made them play, you know, you get the idea. I think art, the soul of art, the connective tissue of what art really is, the radical thing that's, I'm gonna, AI is not gonna stand up there and paint what she painted. It's just not gonna do it. It might paint something, and maybe that's what a business that sells envelopes needs to put on their holiday brochure. But if you want some kind of connective moment, we're fine. And I think this tension, like for a lot of us as believers and creatives, it's like, this is some of the gospel right now. The good news is that nobody's gonna, nobody can do what I can do. It might not even be good. You're, nobody can do your pottery or my photography or your podcast. No, no one can do what I can do. And I think there's a security that a lot of believers are losing because of this distraction or white noise. I think we're in the most white noise period of ever. And we all know what that means. It's just like scrolling mindlessly, something always on. And this white noise is causing people to lose the reality. And, and I think there's an interesting thought here. We should be secure enough as artists to be in this crisis. It is a crisis. I think it's interesting and it's, it's a shaking. It's a, what was the reset? What was the word after? Yeah, that one. I just see a chiropractor like popping the earth's back. Um, there's this moment as believers to take hold of, I think of a text like in Hebrew, he will shake everything that can be shaken. You have to sit back and go, do you think God's really afraid of AI and Adobe generative illustration? Like, come on. But a lot of believers are like panicking. And I think it's, it's a moment for people to grab hold and have some foundation and devotion and stop and take a pause and put your arm around that person and go, hey, here's, here's what's actually happening. The real thing is gonna, it's, it's being sifted. God's shaking everything that can be shaken so that the real thing makes it through. And I think that's where we're at as a culture. And, and I'll bring it back around to my students, which is that, you know, seeing their senior show this year, it was really clear that the digital artists, like the concept artists, were the ones who were in trouble. But the, the people who are still using paint 
and ballpoint pens and colored pencils and oil pastels and like we're gonna be fine because not just because like the work looks cooler and more tangible and whatever but because it like calls from the artist to the viewer it's it's a communion because the the viewer realizes oh like I want to live in a world where human beings make things and where I can experience them and that I know that the artist is um, is full it, the, the artist is pursuing that yearning that we all have for for truth and beauty like so I can trust that artist and I think that's going to be yeah that's what at. feels like is separating like if I go out and I load a roll of film and I shoot whatever rotted barn anything on that Hasselblad nothing can do that there's no there's no generative AI that can connect the reality of light hitting a substance forming an image and developing it and or a paintbrush or a whatever your instrument is that I'm fascinated with like that's the separator and I think there's a, a security missing in in the church from just people not for years and decades even in the Western culture, just there's more to being an artist than being a, on a worship team. And I think that's what the church has kind of, that's all there's been in the Western church. And we're just now hitting, we're just kind of like, it's hitting the fan. The reality of decades of art in the church is you lead worship songs. And there's a lot of people who, like you said at the beginning, like always wanted to write. And they were never told that that's, that's a vehicle as well. And so we're in this shaky ground, but the Lord's shaking the ground, I think. And, and for me, I feel, I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea, but I feel okay with it because I trust the Lord, you know? I feel like there's a, along those lines, I feel like there's a great sort of like, it's not a legitimizing, but it's like a recognition of the legitimacy of the artist in the studio or the or the writer whose work is maybe never even published and like a recognition that God that God is looking curiously and is very interested whether or not it it takes even the even a public space but also maybe even if it doesn't fit well in in our religious institutions I think some of that we're made to create and a lot of people abandoned creating because they were told they needed to grow up. Yeah. And that's the damage that the church has opened the door to in general. And that's exciting in this era for us. Don't grow up. Make stuff. Go paint in your garage. Go, you know, like go experiment, go play. I think there's that mix of just these last few decades, you know, it's almost tangible in some places where oh i want oh you write what does that mean i've never are you like are you in barnes and noble or have you have you written a one-to-one -one allegory where this lion stands for yeah it's you know really who. tough and he'd better have a flaming sword in his mouth as well and maybe some little lambs prancing around and what and who are the lambs that's you and me brother i'm sorry no, it's true, and I... That's, that's the muscle relaxer talking. <laughs> I, I'm taking I'm, this on the road. I'm careful with this statement. I, I have some 
uh, Christian filmmaker friends that make exceptional stuff. But I think there is this, there was some writing on the wall about 15 years ago with some of the worst films ever made and released as Christian films. And, and that's what you're saying. It's, the, yeah, you're saying that because, because people, we just have a lot of catching up to do. I think that's the, the ex, you have to explore and to create what needs to be created for this crisis, you have to waste a ton of time. Like art is so wasteful. You, if you're gonna be an artist in this room, prepare to waste most of your life. But it's, it's the best waste you could ever waste. And that's what the church hasn't been. The church is too efficient. And I'm not saying this critically, I love the church. Um, but there's like this thing with efficiency and locking it in and, you know, and, and I think we're seeing that finally come to the top and kind of, uh, there it is, it showed up. I think that often, um, I mean, often I tell people that 90% of what you create should never see the light of day. It should live in a drawer or it should get burned in your backyard or whatever, but it's about the working it out. And that should never see Instagram, that should never go on TikTok, it should never be for sale anywhere. It's your process of working it out. And you're totally right. And it's, it's not a waste. Yeah. You know, that, that's the ointment in the alabaster jar. That's like the stored up treasure that you've had for years and years and years until it comes out in a work that you know, I have to share this. You know? And the algorithm is breaking that beautiful pattern. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one for one now. I make a thing and show it. Yeah. Like there's so few people making a thing to make the thing which leads to burnout, which leads to bad everything. And that one-to-one, -one, I must make for a like button. As simple and as childish, as, I'm oversimplifying that, but that's what's happening is, is for us, I think as creators, encouraging ourselves, our communities, let's like make this thing here together and never show it. How cool is that? That's the magic. Because, you know, making for the like button gets into the need for validation. It gets into some deep heart stuff that we could go down that path. You know what I mean? And so it's hard to make things in private when there is no affirmation, there's no validation, nobody is reflecting anything back to you or there's no dopamine rush when you're in private, you know, and, and the like button is a quick fix. And so there is an addictive, you know, component to that, that I think we had to be really careful of. The other th comment that I wanted to make though is when you started talking about exploration, you know, and, and you were talking about kind of the kitsch kind of, you know, uh, line and dove analogy that, um, that your muscle relaxer brought forth for us. Um, you know, I think that's what I meant by the newness. It's not so much novelty for the sake of novelty, but it's the freedom to explore. We, you know, and, and I, for some reason, the, the thought of we don't want to paint by number. The creative process is something much larger than that. And I've been doing a study on the word original for many years now. And, and this, I think, ties into to this because, you know, if you take the word original on one hand, you've got something that existed from the beginning. Like she was a member, she was an original member of the cast, right? Original means it was there from the beginning. But then you've also got the polar opposite right in the same word is, man, that, that song was so original. I've never heard anything like that before. 
And I started breaking this down and I started seeing the relationship between tradition and innovation or rootedness and exploration being tied together in one expression. Because if you take the word original to its root, it means the origin. If something is original, it means to go back to the origin. And so if I want to be innovative, I've got to go back to the origin all the way back to the origin. I want to go back to the divine artist himself. I want to go all the way back to the beginning. And, and then from that place, let the, the new expressions come forth from there. I think what I wanted to say in that is that the rootedness is of utmost importance in this time of crisis, because when everything that can be shaken is being shaken, I know in my own life, the past two years of my life have been an intentional recentering and regrounding of my life in the soil of God, you know? And I think that rootedness is important, especially for the artist functioning in a time of crisis. As far as rootedness goes, I mean, I'm thinking that, you know, one of the, one of the problems is that the artist's job really in a lot of ways is to struggle like part of our job is to just fight through our own curiosity and to mess with materials and figure out what to do with it. And that, the, the disconnect there maybe with, with... You made that sound so beautiful. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting here like cringing. The pain, right? I literally had the thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> well, you know, the, the issue with that is, is that as we've, as we've talked about, as you mentioned, the efficiency in the church is that it used to be the word Israel means to wrestle with God. The, the rabbis had the midrash, which means it's like this constant wrestling. And, and so we've lost this connection with struggling be a, being a part of the rootedness. We've lost this connection with, with a past, um, with a heritage in, in relationship with God that legitimizes the struggle. And because we've done that, we've our artists are, are outside the doors in a lot of ways. Or they gave up. Yeah, or they gave up, yeah. You know, I think that it, it brings to mind two things. The rootedness brings to mind two things for me. And it's, again, I'm just speaking from my heart and from where I've been studying lately. And I've been thinking about rejection and I've been thinking about acceptance. And it kind of ties into what we we're talking about earlier, making something for that like button, making something for that validation. It's like, you know, we, anytime someone innovates something new, it's usually ridiculed and scorned and rejected before it's assimilated into culture. And then it becomes normal. And then you have to find, you know, the next thing or whatever that, and that can happen for good or for bad. You know, the things that, and this, this can be kind of a scary thought, but the things that are avant-garde or on the fringe today will likely be mainstream in 20 years from now, you know, and, and we see that culturally, but rejection can be a creative catalyst it can have uh, an element of redemption within it. But I think something we haven't explored and something that we as followers of Jesus can bring through our art and bring to the table through our art is the beauty that comes from acceptance. Like we often think that, you know, we only create original art in reaction to something else or that it's coming out of being rejected. And so now I'm just going to go even further and be weirder. But at the same time, 
What does art look like that comes out of a heart so rooted in the fact that they are beloved and nothing can pluck me from God's hand, that nothing can separate me from this crazy love that continues to chase me down no matter how much I mess up. He still comes and says, you're still worthy and still picks me back up and puts his robe and his ring on me and says, no, we're gonna go again. No, I believe in you, I believe in you. What does the art look like that comes out of a heart that is so rooted in, in being accepted by the beloved that we just don't give a rip. We know we can explore, we can try new things, we can fail and we can get up again because nothing is gonna rip us out of his hand. That's the type of creativity that I believe the world needs to see. He says all things are yours, mm -hmm. whether thrones or principalities or, you know, yeah. I feel like he says that somewhere. Mm -hmm. It is written. <laughs> I think that's such a huge, I wish I'd rec I would record that and like fall asleep to it tonight, his rant. It's such a huge piece of, I love it. I'll, uh, I'll set you in a room later and just have you rant and I'll, I'll go home, hon, I'm replacing the white noise. It's such, a, it's such a big piece of where we're at as a culture to to like something's got to give so there's the crisis you know there's there's this thing with the church the world the whole thing but have you even noticed like can we stop rebooting ninja turtles has anybody <laughs> I, so i'm going to take my sons it's probably great but i'm making the point i'm trying to make we're spider-man I mean, like the point <laughs> the thing that's driving me a little bonkers but it's this interesting it's an interesting moment to observe and take a breath in. Even the greatest minds, I mean, the greatest minds out in LA, and I've met with some of these people and they think they know everything and they're, they're making all the big movies and they're all the great hit records. There's actually, it's not that impressive anymore. I've, I've literally noticed in the last few years, like, what is happening? Like, like if we, if you step back just in music, which I am the most confident historically about, I mean, where is like Stevie Wonder when he came out? Where is, you know, go, like go through, go through the eras. What in the, like, that's a crisis in itself that, the, that we should see and go, they're even struck, they're broken down. There's such a, there's such a blockage all around, but like, I'm just really tired of these reboots. But it's a sign. It's a sign of a lack of actual risk, devotion to creativity. It's a sign that the greatest among the world in the creativity departments are scared. To me, that's a little exciting and I feel crazy and like I want to go do something insane. Um, but it's, it's this moment. I think we're in that crisis includes that moment as well. That's why I'm writing my next book about East German punk rock, which is a fact. Yeah. Does that remind you of what we were chatting about on the way up here in, in the car? Because um, we, we were talking, I don't even know how we got on the subject, but I was just like, I said, well, Vesper, what, what music are you listening to right now? You know, and then, you know, we didn't, and so I was like, I go, what podcasts, besides Makers and Mystics, of course, and Vesperisms, 
Besides those, what podcasts are you listening to? And like, and then Bible I, in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz. <laughs> that right. was my answer. Yeah. You know, but I started thinking, I was like, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just having a crisis of inspiration right now. Uh, that, that's a little dramatic, but I, I tend to rant, I hear. I love it. And I'm still processing through what that means, but I feel like that maybe God is trying to show something to us and show something to me through that. It's like, and I, I remember just really quickly, years ago, I, I went to a Barnes and Nobles and I was looking for this book and I was like, I need this book on, I don't remember what it was. And I couldn't find the book and it was, I was so frustrated. I was like, there's nothing here. This is, the, the book I'm looking for is not here. And I just, I just heard the little still small whisper that just said, because you haven't written it yet. And I think sometimes the frustration that you were talking about and some of this angst of where, where is the inspiration, where it, you know, perhaps that is to provoke us to begin our own rooted explorations, you know. I, I wanna talk for a second about one of my heroes who's um, Václav Havel, if anybody is familiar. He was a Czech dissident artist, playwright, absurdist playwright. And he was constantly persecuted by the communist government in Czechoslovakia. But he kept doing his thing and he kept writing and he kept gathering with artists. And he always carried with him a prison kit in case he got lifted off the street. And one day he did get lifted off the street and put in prison, but he never quit. And he was just so committed um, and he didn't change his tune. And then when communism fell, he was elected president of Czechoslovakia. An absurdist playwright. Okay, so it can happen. And I think if we, if we just can, with all the, the things that are swirling around us and all the things that make us afraid about the crisis and the, the moment we're in and whatever, and instead we just go to our garage and we get out our guitar and we just start making a mess, little by little, it's going to happen again. And the next, you know, Nirvana is going to come out of that or the next clash or whatever it is, you know? But I think recognizing that we are in a transitional period right now and just being okay with that and committing ourselves to making the work anyway and trusting that the process will work itself out. And we will, like, artists will land on their feet and, and do something great again in response to this time, just like we always have. You know, somebody said to me one time that it was a rule of Navy navigation, wartime navigation or something, when bombs were going off all around you, the tendency is to course correct, and that's where you get hit. But when all the bombs seem to be going off all around, you have to stay the course. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach. If you've been inspired by this or other episodes of the podcast, I want to ask you to consider becoming a monthly patron and supporting our work of advocating for the arts. For as little as $10 a month, you can help us continue offering this resource to artists around the globe. See the show notes of this episode or visit makersandmystics.com to learn more. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. Mm -hmm.